Go ahead and stand and take your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, in chapter number 14. 1 Samuel, chapter number 14. Welcome here once again tonight, as, um, as we proceed with our midweek, midweek service. You might be wondering why our pastor is not here. He and Brother Justin are out um, of town on uh, missions work right now. If you be, please be in prayer for them, for their safety, that God would use them greatly. <clears throat> and for all of you folks who've been in prayer for me, uh, let me clarify one thing. I have not left the church. I don't plan on leaving. I have, my family and I have set roots here. God is, and unless God calls otherwise, we are going to continue to have Heritage Baptist Church as our home and our ministries right here in the Bay Area. And thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, for my voice is still not 100%. I was attempting, operative word, attempting to sing some hymns. It's a little frustrating. Um, just kind of losing my voice midway, singing glory to his name. And I, um, I, I can't wait to be back up here song leading and, and perhaps maybe be in the choir sometime soon. But you please, if you be in um, prayer for me as I'm still recuperating from my laryngitis. Hopefully I don't have any scar tissue on my larynx that would hinder me, especially as a, as a preacher. And praise the Lord just for um, his work in here in our midst. Tonight, if you have your Bibles in 1 Samuel chapter number 14, we're just going to jump right into it. If you notice with me as I read out loud, the passages here, beginning verse 1 down to verse number 14. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, we pick up here at a passage, in a prior passage here, Saul, who is the first king of the nation of Israel, God has appointed here and chosen by the people, not because God wanted to be so, but because the people say, hey, let us be like everybody else around us. Oh, friends, we ought to be wary about following the crowd, especially in this day and age in our culture. But here's what happens here. So they, God gave them, so all right, this is what it is, told Samuel to anoint him. And here it was in his second year, chapter number 13, he says, there it was, the Philistines had risen up. And they had um, attacked Israel, and they had uh, overcame them. They laid siege to them, and now they come after. Um, they'd come after him, and Saul has not been um, living up to par as God would have it. We see that in chapter number fifteen. Now we pick up the chapter number fourteen, and it says here: Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, or an armor bearer, and he said this: Come, and let us go over to the Philistines, the Philistines garrison. That is on the other side, but he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in um, Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And, in the, peop and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And, the, and between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other Senna. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, I love this part, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. And they say unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and will not go up unto them. But... If they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up. For the Lord hath delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer slew after him. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about twenty men, within as it were in half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. Father, bless the reading of your word, and even more so, Father, I ask once again that you anoint this humble preacher. Pray, Father God, for these your people, that, Lord, they will be filled with the Spirit as well, that they might be ready to receive the engrafted word, which is able to not only save their souls, but to change their lives. Tonight, Lord, I sincerely believe, 
Lord, that you have a message here, not because of my own doing, Lord, or my own creativity, but Lord, one that is led by the Spirit of God. And I pray, Father God, it would not only be an encouragement, but Lord, for perhaps, Lord, some people here in some areas of our lives, a time of admonishment, but Lord, also to realize it's for the edification of the saints. Please enable, us, enable me, Lord, and may I be careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And we thank you so much, Lord, for these things now, for us in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. We read in this passage of an unnamed man, all simply known as the man, young man who bared the armor for Jonathan, or Jonathan's armor bearer. Friends, I believe that now more than ever that there's a great need for Christians to rally around preachers all across the globe and to stand with them and fight against the principalities, against powers, against the rules of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6. You know, it doesn't take long to see that our world is continuing in darkness. We have been told and have known that there's a real enemy who's targeting believers everywhere, especially those in positions of leadership and influence like our very own pastor. Oh, it may not always be by way of a moral failure or decline of physical health. As we read here about some of our missionaries, especially like that of Miss Polly Irvin, please be in prayer for her. Perhaps that discouragement might be, by, or that, that setback might be way of discouragement, a decline in church attendance, a decline in members serving in ministry, rather than going forward, plateauing, stagnating, setting back, a decline altogether. Perhaps it may be a way of others leaving the church for other for another church, as some people have said, more fitting to our way, my family's way of life. Truth, like a vaccination, does not always feel good when taking it, but it is most necessary if we are going to protect against infection, deterioration of our health, and possibly even death. Tonight's message, along with the leading of the Holy Spirit through my daily devotions, has part of its origins with a conversation I had last year in the month of June with Brother Rob Williams, and my, father, my, my, my daughter's fourth birthday party. It was regarding the role and the duty of the armor bearer. I'm not sure, Brother Williams, you remember that. But I was both uh, in, intrigued and challenged by the conversation and determined from that day forth to start implementing that which I will be preaching to you tonight. And tonight I want to delve into the lines of two separate armor bearers and discover three important aspects that we ought to consider in becoming a Christian armor bearer for our pastor and for God's glory. Before I commence, understand this a term here, as you see, an armor bearer. An armor bearer was not a position taken lightly. Our pastor preached on Sunday night about the position of a cup bearer, one who would taste of the food and of the drinks um, as the time was, as somebody would um, have ill will or malicious thought towards the king, attempting to take his life by means of poison. That cup bearer was a close confidant. Can I tell you, that was somebody who was in a time of peace, and a time where there was no need to go out to battle, a cupbearer was the closest confidant. Dare I say, however, every king and every prince and every patriarch there also had, when they went out to battle, a close confidant. That man who would not only be, bear his armor in the sense that he would keep it. He would keep it at the ready. He would make sure that his tools and his weapons necessary to defend his country, his people, his family, and his safety was well sharpened and well tuned. This was the position of an armor bearer. The armor bearer had to be expecting had to know and on, on an intimate knowledge that, that of not only the preferences, the principles, but the habits of, of his leader. When that man was chosen to be armor bearer, it was a great undertaking. And dare I say, friends, can I tell you this? Our pastor bears upon his shoulders a great work. Paul told Timothy this, if you desire the office of a bishop, you desire a great work. Can I tell you, ministry is not always, as some, one of our, I remember at one child um, in a ch children's ministry said, well, how is that pastor seems always so busy? Doesn't he only work one day a week? <laughs> oh, friends, can I tell you this? And I know um, the child in his innocence wasn't being facetious to any extent or malicious. But dare I say, can I tell you this? If we're not careful, and I know I'm talking to the cream of the crop. I know I'm talking to the, speaking to the choir here tonight. But if we're not careful, we can often forget the man of God. There he is on the front lines praying for our families, ministering to us, thinking he is the superman in ministry when he himself, who do, to whom does our pastor aside from God go to when he has discouragements? 
Who is it that, his, that is by his side when he's down? Who is it, aside from Mrs. Fong, some, perhaps maybe some family, some men who come alongside, says, you know what? I want to know our pastor. As you hear our pastor, and I appreciate it so very much, several people here, some even here in this room tonight, have asked our pastor, preacher, is there anything I can do? You'll hear him say, is there anything I can uh, provide for you or, or do for you? Pray on your behalf. You'll hear him say, I need more, more time in the day and the power of the Holy Spirit. But friends, as cliche as that may seem, it is of the utmost importance. And our pastor realizes that. Tonight, as you see, the first aspect I see in this passage, some, I see first and foremost begins with the unmistakable distinctions. There's some unmistakable distinctions. You know, in this time, especially in this time, the nation of Israel... And Saul being the, the first king, there were many different positions. As we come alongside, we'll come find later, as David is made king, we see other positions rise and some key notes that were made, especially in that in 2 Samuel 23 of that of David's mighty men. But amidst all of these friends, there's an unmistakable distinction of that of the armor bearer. I notice with me, he is, letter A, a commoner with uncommon character. You know, not much is mentioned in Scripture about Jonathan's armor bearer. Unlike Saul, nothing is mentioned about his stature, his ability, his, his family, or his training. Though little is known about this particular armor bearer, I'd like for us to turn our Bibles a few pages over to 1 Samuel chapter number 16, and we'll see a very familiar name. In 1 Samuel chapter number 16, Notice in verses 5 through 10, first and foremost, we see that um, Samuel, rather, in chapter number 15, Saul had disobeyed. He had given clear instructions by the man of God, Samuel. He told him to go, and as he to go and smite the Amalekites, and he gave them very clear instructions. In verse number 3, chapter 15, he says, Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have. The clear guidance here in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, God told through, um, through the prophet Samuel to Saul, do you have one job? Here, Amalek, a picture of the flesh. We have to destroy it, friends. By the way, I can tell you this, you and I, friends, if we do not put mortifier members in our flesh, it will always raise its ugly head against us. And we'll always make, if we do not provide or not filled by the Spirit, we will always fall prey to making provisions for our flesh. Hear me tonight when the Bible says there was clear guidance. He says, utterly destroy all that they have. And notice here, if that wasn't clear, he said this, and spare them not. Question for you, is there any ambiguity about the, about the command that was given to Saul? I mean, I'm, being, I'm not trying to be facetious. I think God was very clear, was he not? He said, utterly destroy all. And just in case, Saul, you didn't get it, spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. But notice here, as he went down, it says in verse number 7, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. But notice verse 8, then he took Agag. The king of the Amalekites, alive. Hmm. And verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag, and notice that, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not only destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. So we see here, Saul clearly disobeyed God's guidance and instruction. But notice here in verse 13, it says, when Samuel finally came, Saul was, um, was getting a little bit anxious, and he did not obey, and he, he tried to, to fill in for that which was not rightfully his position. And notice, he goes up, Samuel finally shows up, and, and Samuel, verse 13, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Parents, you understand this, right? You tell your child, you give them instructions, go clean your room, make your bed. And then they come out, oh man, I have performed all that has commanded, mother and father. Toys all around, you're stepping on Legos. And uh, man, I tell you, and you go in there and there is, you look in there, and a pigsty is not enough information to pro provide that room in its description, is it? Suddenly, you look to yourself and you look at the kids and you ask, you call them, as I've done multiple times. Boaz, Micah, Sarah, get in this room. 
You did not perform. And yet here it is, as I read this passage, I think of Saul. And as a little child, in his own conceitedness, mind you, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And notice in verse number 14, Samuel says this, almost rhetorically. Then what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep? The bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. And notice now Saul is backpedaling. He says, verse 15, and Saul said, um, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep. And of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now notice here, the command was given to the king, Saul. And notice the, how the blame shifts. They, the people that were with me, they took up the oxen, they spared Agag. And verse 16, then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. But as we see very clearly, God says, made it very clear. Verse 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, get this, friends, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebelling is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And notice the consequence. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And of course, Saul didn't like that. And yet, of course, Samuel, as he was the one that was, anoint, was chosen to anoint him, takes it very hardly. In verse chapter number 16, we see him still mourning for this. And the Lord told Samuel, how long will thou mourn for Saul? Seeing how I rejected him from reigning over Israel. In verse five to, verses 5 through 10 in this passage, 1 Samuel 16, after Saul's failure to obey the Lord's command, the Lord rejects Saul's king. And now he commands Samuel to anoint another. Here we find him at the home of Jesse where Samuel looked upon seven of his sons. But God will tell Samuel that none of these men were of his choosing. And then he asks a very poignant question. In verse number 11, notice it here with me. He asks this question. Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? Parents, this is a frightful question, isn't it? Especially if you're like myself who has a child who likes to wander. Unfortunately, I've seen also families who feared such a question when the preacher or any man of God asks them right before service or before a revival meeting or during an altar call or during a missions conference, are here all they children? Are you willing to present them before him? Friends, may I remind us that our pastor does not do this to impute blame upon us as parents, but to emphasize the importance of every service, every message, and every opportunity that the Holy Spirit of God has to work in their lives through our children and through his powerful word. We would be remiss to find ourselves a stumbling block, a hindrance standing before God and our children because we don't think that his will would fit the dreams and aspirations that we have instilled or expected that of our children. Oh, but praise God for so many of you. For many, so many of you parents who have committed your children to the Lord, even before the conception, I'm blessed to serve among the many wonderful servants of the Lord in our youth ministry, and I commend all of you parents for the godly investment so many of you have placed into your young people. Here in our passage in verse number 12, we see the Lord chooses David of all people, not one who is good looking, but one who was, after his own heart, a shepherd. And in verse number 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. The spirit of the Lord came upon David from the de that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. David is anointed by Samuel as king. And notice here that it mentions specifically that of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is the defining point for David and it's still the defining point for every Christian today. Being filled with the spirit of the Lord meant that the Lord was changing David into his likeness. This is why David is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, friends. Let me ask you this, fellow Christians. Are we willing to be spirit-filled Christians? I think so often we fall into, as one preacher put it, the analysis of paralysis. If I surrender, that means I'm going to have to give up some certain practices. Maybe even some certain acquaintances. Maybe even some certain entertainment and amusements. And when we start thinking thus far 
and we give occasion to the flesh, and we start hearing little whispers, not that of the Holy Spirit, we can very easily justify ourselves in the current path we're on. But notice in verse number 14, friends, it's interesting to note that in the very next verse, it says something else. And <clears throat> But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Whereas in the previous, it's talked about the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, and the next verse says the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, let me make one thing here clear, especially here in the Old Testament. At this point in time, we must understand this. The Holy Spirit of God was not in the ministry of indwelling believers at this point in time. Well, then, Pastor AJ, how were people saved in the Old Testament the same way we are here in the New or in this day of grace? It is by grace through faith. Whereas we today, we look back at the sacrifice of the great Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, though Jesus Christ may not have been a name, but the concept was always passed down, down through the sacrifices that were given by the high priests. So too, the people, by faith, and that faith was shown by their actions. It was not the, the actual um, animal. There was no such thing as a perfect animal. No animal can take away our sins. The, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, that the sacrifices were, uh, at that point in time, were not sufficient. But Jesus Christ, get it, friends, is better. Whereas the sacrifices had to be performed every single year, Jesus Christ had it paid once and for all. But here we see the, the working of the Holy Spirit as it was at this point in time. The Holy Spirit of God would fill men for periods of time. As it was here in the life of Saul, so now it was, he was departed. And by the way, friends, when this happens, a very negative connotation. Friends, there are not two ways about the matter. We are either filled with the Spirit or we are not. There's no, I have a water bottle here and to prevent myself from, from coughing. As I obviously ingest the water, it slowly becomes less and less filled with water. But the Christian life is not the same way. Yes, when we are filled with the Spirit, it is made known. As you read through um, the New Testament here, we see it is born by the fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit has nine different characteristics. We know as love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and all those um, 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 characteristics, but friends, oftentimes we know, don't we, when we are not walking in the Spirit. When we are not in the Spirit, it's very easy for it to be oppressed by an evil spirit, one spurned for, by our flesh and the effects of this world and the unfortunate circumstances of life around us. They can cause us to cave in. And as it says here about Saul, is that the Spirit of the Lord had departed. It says, now an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, let me make it very clear. Verse 14 is not implying that God is the originator of sin or evil. Rather, here, this is when it's being sent, as it was in the life of Job, all the trials that, we, um, that, that takes place in our life, hear me, fellow Christians, when I say this, they are God-filtered. Oftentimes, it's sort of like, uh, it's, um, for myself, I remember my, my parents always warned me. They always warned me, hey, be careful do not ever play around the hot iron. I remember I was age four. My did not heed my mother's, my mother's instruction. She told me to go and retrieve something. I knew what she had just done. Just got an ironing. And as her habit was, she would place the iron in the sink. We lived in an apartment at this point in time. And I remember uh, at the sink, she told me, hey, use the stepping stool. Don't jump up on a counter. But when you're four years old, man, you're the next American Ninja Warrior, aren't you? I mean, everything here, I'm, you, you jump on there, it's the most efficient way. And of course, naturally, unbeknownst to me, didn't realize the sink was wet. I had slit, and my, and my I, first thing I did, I leaned right up against that iron. Okay? And um, bless her heart, my mom didn't know better. I guess it was um, her, her mom told her, hey, you know what? The pain that will help soothe the pain, vinegar or oil. And... Um, praise the Lord, it's not, so much, it's not so much defined today, but on the left side of my face, I still have a little bit of a scar and kind of reminiscent, not put, placing blame upon my mother, but rather the orneriness and the disobedience of myself as a child. My mom didn't burn my face. This was a result of my disobedience. And friends, parents, we can give our children 
instruction, we can guide them. As Proverbs 22, 6 says, to train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he shall not depart from it. That is not a guarantee that your children will stay godly. It is, however, teaching us the principle that when we do teach our children, we ought to do so right and according to God's word, that when they are, old, when they are older, they cannot escape the truths and principles that have been taught to them. I won't mention um, any names for this, but I was recently um, out just grocery shopping several weeks ago. And I had um, come across somebody who used to come to our church. If I said their name, everybody, many of you perhaps might know them. And it was interesting enough as they, um, I didn't identify them. They saw me in line, I think it was at New Sang Chong. And as such, they called me, hey. And they called me by my first name, Mr. AJ. And I looked around, and I saw this individual. And I just kind of waved, made some small time. I asked, hey, man, how, how you been? I just kind of just uh, wanted to, you know, let them know, just thinking about them. It was good to see them there along the way. And without me even mentioning it, the conversation then turns and says, you know what, I, I just feel so ashamed. So ashamed? I asked how you were doing. And oftentimes, friends, and they told me this, well, you're still at, at the church, right? I'm like, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And as they said so, they said, you know what? I know what I need to come back, but I feel so ashamed. And they mentioned some people here in this room. And he says, you know what, but I thank God so much that I know that if I was to come back, that I know I'd be welcomed back with open arms. Friends, that's a testament to our church family. Can I tell you this, friends? If we're going to have some unmistakable distinctions, we might be commoners, but we have to have uncommon character. We see here in the life of David, as in chapter number 16, now what has been going on, Saul is out of harmony, his disunity with, with God. And now he doesn't know what Samuel has done in anointing David as, as a next king. And notice here, it talks about, <clears throat> in verse number 15 of chapter number 16, excuse me. We see that when Saul was troubled by an evil spirit, it was made evident to his servants. And I wrote down a question for myself. Who has recently witnessed myself walking in the flesh and not in the spirit? Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. They knew it. In verse number 16, let our Lord now command um, thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. We see then also the powerful impact of music. Friends, don't negate it. Our world understands the powerful impact of, of, of music in our lives, in our media, in our technology. And the devil always seeks to, to perpetrate and to pervert all that which is good, even the tools that are used for our communication. But notice the recommendation of verse number 18 of David, not only because of his ability, but especially because of his feeling. Verse 18, then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, um, Bethlehemite, um, Bethlehemite, excuse me, that is cunning and plain, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and comely in person, and get this, and, say that with me, friends, the Lord is with him. Man, that just seals it all up, doesn't it? Here we give this recommendation because the Lord is with him. In verse 19 to 21, because of spirits leading, David finds affinity in the presence of Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. That's a long introduction about this uncommon character, friends. Because the first armor bearer I want to see is that of, of David himself. We know him as a man after God's own, own heart. Here we this commences relationship between the king and his armor bearer. This position was a very trusted position. And we know that David had ministered to the heart of Saul on more than one occasion. But notice letter B, I see next, this unmistakable distinction. David was also committed to improvement. You know, it's always easier to stagnate because it requires no work, doesn't it? It's always easier to say, ah, you know what, ah, that's, I did enough. I've done my part. 
Oh, friends, are we committed to improvement? First of all, for ourselves, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14 and 15, it says this of David, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, get this, he was afraid of him. Now, why is that? I want you to note this, friends. Righteous living not only encourages others to do likewise, but also convicts others who are living contrarily. The Bible tells us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And get this, glorify your Father which is in heaven. Also note this, friends, those who are living in opposition to that will always be bothered by it. I like what one preacher put here. The gospel light might attract also some strange bugs, but also exposes the cockroaches. Oh, friends, can I tell you this? Beware this also asking for the light of the gospel in our lives because tell you what, light not only reveal, um, um, it does away with darkness, but it also reveals the necessary parts that are lacking in our own lives. Are we committed to improvement for ourselves? How about this? Are we committed for improvement for our leader? Here we see he follows faithfully after his leader because David follows faithfully after Saul because of his God-anointed position. Do you hear me tonight, friends? Despite the many attempts on his life by his leader, how was it that David was still able to obey his leader and serve him, though he was clearly in the wrong? I highly doubt that he decided, hey, you know what? I came in here and he decided he's holding a javelin in his hand. At least he was man prudent enough to see what was going on. And David decided here, you know, I don't think I want to play his game of, of, of target practice today. And he was, his life was spared more than once. But yet, we understand that David realized and acknowledged that the position in which he was in, hear me tonight, friends, if you miss this, you miss it all. Our position in support with our pastor is one of a God-anointed position. We come to Heritage Baptist Church because we get to. The moment we start coming thinking, okay, preacher, bring it. What you got, what you got for me? We've come in the wrong spirit, friends. You know what is exciting to me on Sunday nights are so many of our people, as uh, people are being seated there along the way, so many people come out to me, hey, Pastor AJ, how can I help? What can I do? New members, veterans, founding members, and it was just tremendous. We are blessed here, friends. We have a very uncommon, uncommon character amongst our people, and I'm grateful for that. But notice here, as how many folks recall Pastor Barnhouse in this Pastor Missions Conference? I remember during his message to the church, he reminded us of the power and confidence one can have in knowing and being in the will of God. Since David was anointed by Samuel to be king back in 1 Samuel 16, he had the assurance that the Lord would place him on the throne in his time. So long as David remained in the will of God, he could boldly go forward. Friends, we cannot do this if we are out of the will of God. Amen. God forbid, say, God, help me go forward in my business plan when we are skipping out on him on Sundays. Friends, God, we cannot rightfully ask God to bless us when we evict him out of our lives. It must go hand in hand. Let me ask you, fellow soldiers of Christ and members of the body of Christ, brethren, beloved, are you aware that each and every one of you, of one, every one of us, is to honor and follow the man of God for our church? Hebrews 13, 7 tells us this. Remember. The word remember means it is um, a, a pointed choice to bring to, to mind over and over again. Remember them which have the rule over you. Not one who will rule over you like a tyrant, but rather one who must give account for you, who has spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or their lifestyle. There it is, and jump down to verse number 17 of the same chapter. It says here, not only to remember, now it says this, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy, not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. I can't tell you how many times that our pastor, and it grieves my heart, as I hear him trying to counsel um, wavering members who say, You know what, Pastor, I think it's better, it is better for me if I left the church. It is better for me to follow the job. It is better for me to do xyz and oftentimes friends we don't heed the pastor's guidance friends if we're not willing to submit to pastoral authority we cannot rightfully expect him to put in places of leadership for Timothy 5 7 tells us let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially they who labor in the word and doctrine 
We see the unmistakable distinction. But notice, secondly, friends, back in our text in 1 Samuel chapter number 14, I see the uncompromising compromising duty. We see the first armor bearer, that of David. Now we go back to this unnamed individual. And I see here in this un- uncompromising duty three distinct actions. He's always in a state of readiness. For some of you folks who not heard my testimony here, I, I uh, have served for a period of time as a search and rescue officer during my college time. As EMT, I had volunteered through American Red Cross and in August 2005, was helping with the relief effort of Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana. I tell you what, friends, that was a very sobering and eye-opening time. I was supposed to be spending 14 days there. I only spent 10. But you know what? The one thing they always taught us in um, search and rescue training is that we must be, letter A, always ready to deploy. Some of you folks here, as I know there's some individuals here in this room, are familiar with this phrase. Especially here, FEMA always tells you to have this. Um, always have ready to deploy your go bag or your 72-hour emergency bag, right? Especially with uh, um, the campfires up north and uh, the fires down in Southern California here. People are, are, are a lot more aware. It's brought to the forefront of their mind. With all the um, inclement weather that's happening right now, being prayer for those in the Midwest, it's, uh, it's, um, it's just very, very odd to hear, especially the, this Arctic vortex that's going on. People who have died, I believe it was um, nine lives who have been taken because of this Arctic vortex. People who have been go- brought to the emergencies because of not more than five minutes of, of, of their skin being exposed. They're seeing frostbite, frostbite all the way down to their bones. Aren't you grateful Um, That we don't have to experience that here in the Bay Area. But friends, I tell you this. As an armor bearer, we must be always ready to deploy. That is to go where needed at a moment's notice. Verse number one in our passage here. It says, now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, sent unto the young man that bare his armor. Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side But he told not his father. Notice, this armor bearer was ready at a moment's notice to deploy. Do you realize the life of David? David never never stopped improving. In 1 Samuel 18, verse number 30, it says that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. Even after he was married to Michael, he continued his good services to to Israel. And according to the Torah in Deuteronomy 24, 5, Jewish law dispensed with men from going to war the first year after they were married. But David did not use his status or his newly attained position to refrain from serving his countrymen, though so many others would have done so, had they been in David's place. David was ready to deploy at a moment's notice. You know what's amazing to me, as our pastor said multiple times from this sacred desk, so many of us here are wanting to be in teaching positions, and we want to be where the, the limelight might be, but I appreciate so very much, as our pastor says, those who are willing to roll up their sleeves, to clean the toilets, take out the trash, and serve others. Let me ask you this, friends. Do we look out? Um, do we look for an out when it comes to ministry? Man, I can't wait till so-and-so comes here because I am gone. Now, don't misunderstand me, please. I understand that there is a need um, for us in times of growth. I'm grateful for our adult growth ministry and saw how so many people were able to transition from serving to being served. And I'm not suggesting that we are to neglect our families either. However, have you found yourself in a spiritual rut, if you will, that you can't just get, wait to get out of it? If so, friend, it's time for a spiritual refreshing, revival to take place in our lives. Let's look back in our text here in 1 Samuel 14 regarding Jonathan's armor bearer. Here is the setting. In the previous chapter of um, 1 Samuel 13, the Philistines had already occupied the land of the Israelites and taken over key routes throughout the entire land. They had sent out raiding parties to protect the roads and passes that the Jews might use if they had attacked. It was bad enough that Saul lacked men, but it was even worse that his men lacked proper equipment. It says in verse 19 of 1 Samuel 13, Now there was no smith, talking about blacksmith, somebody who could be able to forge weapons, found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords and spears. The Philistines had sent a detachment of soldiers to establish a new outpost to guard the pass at Michmash. Here in chapter 13, verse 23. And Jonathan saw this as an opportunity to attack and see the Lord work. 
Saul was hesitating in an unbelief while his son was acting in faith. By the way, can I tell you this, friends? Fathers, if we're not careful, and we can, we can, our children can do the same. And I'm, very, I, I, I'm asking the Lord every single day, Lord, help me to live a life of faith so as to not extinguish the growing faith of my children. Well, friends, Saul is a tragic example of the popular man of the world who tries to appear religious and do God's work, but who lacks a living faith in God and a heart to honor him. Why didn't Jonathan tell his father that he had a plan to, to rout the enemy? Well, probably because Saul, in unbelief, would have vetoed such a, a daring adventure of faith. And Jonathan had no desire to disagree with him in such a crucial time. With their false sense of security, the Philistines' troops at the new outpost wouldn't be afraid of a couple Jews who managed to cross the pass and climb the cliffs. Maybe the guards would see them as two Jewish defectors who wanted to desert the Hebrew army and find refuge with the enemy. Jonathan was not about to let the, uh, about to let the enemy attack first. Here in our text in verse 1, we see Jonathan beckoning his armor bearer without him arguing Jonathan's command. He was ready to deploy with his captain. But notice next. Not only was he ready to deploy, but he was also ready to defend. That is, he is loyal to the Lord and his under-shepherd. Here in verse number 6 and verse number 7, we see here, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go, go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to, for the Lord to save by many or by few. Notice here, Jonathan had a very spiritual, godly mindset. And notice the response. I love this. His armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, Jonathan. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee, according to the heart. He says, Jonathan, my captain, it doesn't matter where you go. I'm with you. I've got your back. I will support you through thick and thin. Consider the response of Jonathan's armor bearer in verse 7. This young man embodies the attributes of a true armor bearer. He had his leader's back. The situation, no matter how peculiar or unreasonable it may have seemed, did not refrain this soldier from doing his job in defending his captain. He was ready to defend his captain at all costs, even if it meant going into the fray with him. Friends, can I tell you, private accusations against your pastor is a sin. Let me say it again. Private accusation. Oh, do you hear about this? Do you agree with what the pastor said about this? Friends, that's a sin. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 19 to 21, it reminds us, Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. We are not to idolize a man in the pastoral office, but we are to honor, respect, and defend him. We are to be Christian Marines, if you will, when it comes to serving and defending the office of the pastor. We are to be people who are always faithful. So long as the pastor has not failed morally or changed in doctrine or participating in sinful activities, we are to defend this man of God. If you have ever asked Pastor Fong if he needs anything, you'll know, as I said before, many times he's responded, I need more time and the filling of the Holy Ghost. And as an associate pastor of Heritage Baptist Church, it is my duty to defend my pastor's time by being an asset to him in my ministries, soul winning, and personal accountability. God forbid that I should ever be a liability to our pastor and his ministry. I am in the habit of reminding our youth ministry that by God's grace and the leadership of Pastor Fong, I get to serve in the youth ministry. I pray for my pastor every day, sometimes multiple times throughout the day, especially when he's traveling away from this pulpit. May it never be said that A.J. Tadiarka does not have his allegiance to God's man for this church. Dear friend, are you on the fence about this matter? Tonight I understand that I'm speaking to fellow soldiers. And I understand that many of us will follow our fast, after our pastor for, for he declares, as 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Let me ask you, are you ready to deploy? Are you ready to depend? Defend, excuse me. And let her see, are you ready to distance? That is, be aware of practices, people, and priorities that need to either distance or be removed from your life. This part of the message is probably one of the hardest aspects to preach. Because it requires us to sacrifice or give up something that may, for a good part of our lives, become near and dear to our hearts. Not realizing that if we can continue in such practices or relationships, it may very well cause us to drift from the church house, our ministries, our pastor, and ultimately the Lord. 
I appreciate um, our, um, all my, my fellow servants here in our youth ministry, our youth workers in YF. One of our, uh, one of our men here was recently in our smaller groups where we separate into, we discuss some of the, um, the previous week's messages. We call our SWAT groups, our Scripture Word Application Training. Brother Jake Medina shared a testimony about working a job that required him to work on Sunday nights. That it was a compromise in that he could attend church in the mornings and had only had to miss out on Sunday evenings. He confessed that his practices were allowed for wrong relationships to be established at work and hindered his witness to Christ to his fellow co-workers. But let me ask, friends, so what is it, fellow armor bearers? What is it in our lives that needs to be distance, that we need to create distance in? You know, it's interesting to me as I was down in Southern California and as I walked through a lot, I saw a lot of familiar faces. I saw a lot of people with whom I graduated high school and from that private Christian academy. I've talked to a lot of their parents and it is sad. And I looked on that wall. I asked them, but what's the star stand for? They said, oh, those are people who are in ministry. I know for a fact with so many of those with whom I graduated, we, a lot, many of us went to Bible college. But I look back on that wall, my face was the only one labeled. When I asked and talked to some of the parents, I said, hey, we're so-and-so. With a little bit of disappointment, with the heads dropped down, voice somewhat breaking. Hey, Brother AJ. They're no longer here. And I can't help but ask myself, what happened? But also be reminded, that could be me. Any one of us, friends, at any moment can fall prey and are very susceptible to the animations of this world. Can I tell you, friends, we can fall prey to our our pride in thinking, you know, I've been here 10 years. What's so-and-so doing? Why didn't somebody else do this? Can I tell you this, friends? Students, perhaps the thing we need to distance ourselves are the friendships we have at school. But they understand me. We have the same likes. We have the same hobbies. Perhaps it's a rebellious attitude that has been creeping into your life because someone or some, someone or the system did not do right by you. Adults, could the pursuit of a house project or family trip be slowly edging its way between you and the Lord? Perhaps we've grown complacent in our attitude towards all that's going on here at Heritage Baptist Church. That we can find it easier to sit on the sidelines expecting everyone else to give, everyone else to serve, everyone else to go. And now a critical spirit has ousted the love of God in our hearts for him and for his under-shepherd, our pastor. Oh, beloved, let's pray that as David did in Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We have an unmistakable distinction, the uncompromising duty. But finally, notice with me, friends. We're going to be Christian armor bearers. We have to have an unwavering demonstration. There must be some unwavering demonstrations in our life. First of all, I see this here. That the demonstration began with an anonymous warrior. In verse number 7, it says, And his armor bearers said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. This is his personal declaration. He demonstrates for us what it means to be a Christian armor bearer. You know, it's amazing to me, and I share with so many people. I have my, my, my even my relatives ask me, hey, um, what, what's, your, what's your call sign on Instagram or Facebook? I tell them, I don't have one. And they're like, oh, you're just better than everybody else? And so, no, I just don't want to be distracted like everyone else. And the fact is, I, honestly, it's just going to be a distraction for me. I'm just going to be honest. And what's sad is even as my, my wife, she has a social media account, she's, um, and I, I've seen so many people here who have a false sense of humility. I, I, I recall some people I don't even recognize, they're dressing up and say, huh, going to help at the soup kitchen today, and they're decked out all their, their nice, look like they're going to some cocktail party, and they're going to the soup kitchen today, hey, I'm saving the world today. And it's not about the people with whom they're serving, it's about the fact that, hey, I'm doing better than you all. It's a false sense of service, friend. 
You want true service? Go and do something great that costs you something great and don't tell anybody about it. I mean, I appreciate the unsung heroes that are here week after week, sweeping up the leaves, cleaning the bathrooms, taking out the trash, serving, coming alongside, visiting our widows. Those are some unsung heroes. The, the ladies that go and minister to people like my children in that war zone, I tell you, it's a, I tell you, those are some unsung heroes, friends. Problem is, we would get so much more done if none of us were concerned who got the credit. One of the greatest and most formidable forces among the ranks of the United States Armed Forces is the elite group of men in the Army Special Forces. I want you to listen to their creed. That is the code that embodies what it means to be a warrior. The Army Special Forces creed goes something like this. I am an Army Special Forces soldier. I will do all that my nation requires of me. I am a volunteer, knowing well the hazards of my profession. I serve with the memory of those who have gone before me. I pledge to uphold the honor and integrity of all I am in all I do. I am a warrior. I will teach and fight wherever my nation requires. I will strive always to excel in every art and artifice of war. I know that I will be called upon to perform tasks in isolation, far from familiar faces and voices, with the help and guidance of my faith. I will conquer my fears and succeed. I will keep my mind and body clean, alert and strong, for this is my debt to those who depend upon me. I will not fail those with whom I serve. I will not bring shame upon myself or the forces. I will maintain myself, my arms, and my equipment in an immaculate state as, uh, as befit a special forces soldier. I will not fail those with whom I serve. I will not bring shame upon myself or the special forces. I will never leave a fallen comrade. I will never surrender though I, I be the last. If I am taken, I pray that I have the strength to defy my enemy. I am a member of my nation's chosen soldiery. I serve quietly, not seeking recognition or accolades. My goal is to succeed in my mission and to live to succeed again. The oppressor liber, to free from oppression or to liberate the oppressed. Oh, friends, we would do well to live by such a creed. But can I tell you this, friends? Our captain is far greater than that of the presidency. Oh, friends, our executive in chief is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Oh, friends, we see here an anonymous warrior. Are we willing to do so, to serve quietly and without recognition? But notice here, verse 12 to 14, I see an undaunted loyalty. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and said, Come, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and get this, and his armor bearer slew after him. And the first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within, as it were, an half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. There is no strength, stronger sense of camaraderie or brotherhood than when you go to battle with a fellow soldier. Friends, can I tell you this? I've learned to really honestly, I'm grateful for Pastor Wayne Van Gelderen teaching us to pray. But can I tell you this? You want to learn how to pray? You get in the office of our pastor. You share with him a need. You get up on there and he says, you know, let's pray for it right now. Oftentimes, I, I, I was taught a long time ago when I was an evangelist in Neighborhood Bible Time in NBT, I was taught, taught that if I have ought against a brother, take some time to make it right before him and then end with prayer. Because it's always difficult to get mad at somebody with whom you just ended prayer. I will never forget Dr. Toby Weaver, the former dean of men at West Coast Baptist College. and recall many times how his mantra for ministry was, you to be a man... I said, gentlemen, if you want to be a man, be a man of character. 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 I recall one session during a spiritual leadership conference for associate pastors. Dr. Weaver made the statement, men, the best thing you can be for your pastor is loyal. You ain't loyal if you, you ain't nothing if you ain't loyal. Do we have an undaunted loyalty, friends? I'm not talking about blind faith. That if our pastor started telling you, hey, I got some special ointment here, putting this Kool-Aid, well, let's all have a drink. And meet our Savior. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Fortunately, however, I've seen many flaky Christians and church members that went AWOL. When the going got tough. Brethren, praise God for your faithfulness and loyalty to the man of God, our pastor. In the 11 years I've been here, I'm so grateful to have seen many people come up in the ranks. And I've had the privilege to see one such young man. man who serves with me now who, in my junior high boys class. As, a, as my fellow teacher, P, Brother Peter Luong. As I saw his picture here, but just a, a small little guy. 
to grow up in our ministries of the church. When I first became a YF sponsor, Peter had just started YF during the seventh grade welcome. Here in that, in, in that summertime. I remember as I watched as he grew in his desire to walk with God. To share the gospel with others and now serve with me as a fellow Sunday school teacher for the junior high boys Sunday school class. Praise the Lord, much has transpired in, in this past year. And the completion of the Berean Center, the commencement of our adult growth groups, the addition of our Spanish-speaking growth group, the salvation of souls during our fall music concert, people being baptized, added to the church. Friends, there is much for which to praise God. And as we continue in our obedience to the Lord, in our door-to-door soul winning, in our discipleship, in our addition of members, our godly living, one thing is made emphatically clear in scriptures. In 2 Timothy 3.12, the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Our pastor is well aware of this truth. Let me ask you, friend, will you be loyal to uphold him in your prayers? Oh, beloved, may we have an undaunted loyalty to the Lord and our pastor. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, the Lord, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We've seen the unmistakable distinctions in the life of Christian armor-bearer. He may be a common person, a church member, with little to no apparent skills, but he's of an uncommon valor and character. Then we see in the uncompromising duty, even in the face of seeming odds and danger, his confidence comes not from himself, nor solely from his leader, but from the Holy Spirit of God. He leads with his captain. And finally, we see in the armor bearer's unwavering demonstrations of faith. What's holding you back, friend? Armor bearers, the Lord, commander-in-chief, has placed a captain over his church, our pastor. Are you willing to take up the challenge and serve as his armor bearer? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, shall we? Father, tonight I thank you so very much. So very much, Lord, for this much needed in my and this Christian's life. A challenge, Father God, not to this, these, these people, but more importantly to me, A.J. Tadiarka. And Lord, it's hard to believe almost 12 years ago when I first came, how my heart was, has been knit to our pastor, Father God, to know that, Lord, he is a, a very genuine, authentic desire to see our church go forward for Christ. And not just our church as a whole, but for every individual that makes up our church. Tonight, Lord, I, I poured my heart out to these, your people. But we saw some very distinct aspects of what it is to be a Christian armor bearer. We see, saw, saw some examples, that of David, even, Lord, towards a, a leader who is very ungodly. And, Lord, to that of an armor bearer who is unknown, unnamed, and remains anonymous even till this day. And perhaps, Lord, for our good, to remind us and teach us a lesson that oftentimes, Lord, the greatest good is done when we are not known. Oh, Father, I pray thee for these your people. I thank you so very much to have the privilege and opportunity to preach to them, to serve with them, and to come alongside and co-labor with them. But tonight, I pray, Lord, that we will be responsive to your word. Brethren, beloved, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I ask everybody to stand to your feet for the time of invitation. And I wonder how many of us here tonight, God the Holy Spirit is working, and you know it. Tonight, some of us have not realized that this position, the duty to take up arms, to be ready to deploy, to defend to distance it must be uncompromising are we willing to remain anonymous have an undaunted loyalty to pray for our pastor support him I wonder how many of us here say, well, you know what I, Pastor AJ I, I'm that person maybe maybe by your example there might be somebody in and around you that needs to be encouraged maybe it might be fellow brethren some people here you know that perhaps maybe are, are, are on the on the edges just about to fall away. Can I tell you this? One of the greatest ways to support our pastor is to be an extension of his arm and his ministries. Maybe there might be somebody here, you know, says, you know what, Brother AJ, I'm discouraged. I can't support anybody else if I can hardly support my own Christian life. Oh, fellow Christian, can I tell you this? Can I tell you this? It's, it's moment by moment. Going forward is not simply a leap. It's one step at a time. And I wonder how many people here tonight say, Brother AJ, God the Holy Spirit spoke to me tonight. Maybe it might be in some way, shape, or form about being a Christian armor bearer for our pastor. 
I wonder how many people here tonight says, Pastor AJ, I know I need to step it up in this area. Maybe it's about just being more proactive in inquiring of our pastor's needs. Maybe just in the fact that I need to pray for him on a more consistent basis. Whatever the case may be, friends, I want to invite you for this altar invitation. Would you lift up our pastor in prayer? Will you take the goals and the visions that he shared and poured his, poured his heart over and make it our own? We have opportunities week after week, multiple times throughout the week. Will you step out for him? Let us not fall to the idea, oh, that somebody else will pray. Somebody else will help. I'm not capable. You may not have a lot of, of ability, friends, but if you have availability, I know that our pastor most definitely appreciates your time and faithfulness and prayer. Oh, Father, tonight, I thank you so much, Lord, once again for this time and for the attentiveness of these, your people. Lord, as we prepare now to depart and head home, we ask for safety, journeys, mercies. God, I pray, Lord, also as we finish off the rest of this work week, that we might be able to do so, not in the power of our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for this lesson. Thank you so much, Lord, for myself, how, uh, Lord, some of these indelible marks must be appropriated in my own life. Tonight, Lord, I thank you so much for just sustaining all, all of us here. And may we never forget, Lord, the mercy and the grace that's been extended to us. I pray, Father God, amidst this crowd, there are very unique and individual needs. Lord, there are some, um, Father God, people here that perhaps are hurting, either physically or emotionally, or maybe perhaps Lord, are struggling with some things in their life. I pray, Father God, that your presence might be made known. And Lord, that might be that we as uh, fellow Christian army bearers might come alongside to encourage and to edify our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for this time. Bless us now as we depart our own ways. We ask in Christ.